0: Hello, this is Billy Kennedy, and you are very welcome to the Spotless Podcast. This week, we're joined by Ben Logan to talk about design thinking, some of its history, its applications, and where it might be going in the future. As usual, we are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and lots of other uh, podcasting services, so please do like and subscribe. And with that, on with the show. Hello, Ben. Good morning. Hey, Billy. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. How are you today?
1: Yeah, good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back on.
0: Yeah, so as uh, the, the listener won't know this, but this is a re-recording of a podcast that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> on which yeah. I failed to press record yes. on the recording device, which I'm now double checking, and it does seem Just to be
1: double check that it red
0: flashing. Does there, seem it. to be still kind of going. So that's yes, we're, we're, we're all good here. So yeah, so um, today's topic is. Design thinking, Ben. So, um, so so hopefully, we can have a good kind of a chat around uh, around that. But I guess to give an introduction to the listener, uh, what exactly is design thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess straight off the bat, it's it's a method really used by designers to to solve um, problems, you know, complex problems really, uh, and find solutions for clients. So, it's a bit of a catch-all term uh, about really working in kind of cross-functional, multidisciplinary teams. Uh, where you're involving research um, and kind of rapid it, uh, iteration, ideation of ideas. Okay, cool. That's, that's, that sounds very succinct and
0: uh, uh, well-structured as an answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mindset, really. Um, you know, you get people that are not really visual designers that yeah. are really design thinkers. So I think there's a bit of, a, there's a, bit of a, a kind of a mismatch, really, with... Well, not a mismatch, but you've got design as in the craft, yes. as in what you can actually... Uh, output and give form to something, mm-hmm. and then you've got um, design as in actually implementing and solving problems. So yeah. I think the two get confused quite often. I think uh, so, yeah. Which I is think... where there's part of the problem. When you say so we do service design, people can always kind of immediately assume that's visual design. That's yes. not always the case. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. it's actually about. Getting a problem solved and implemented.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what most designers would prefer. The term was was used as I remember even when I was um, when I first went to university a long time ago. Now um, I went and did a course called digital media design, and I went in there thinking it was. You're
1: showing your age
0: here. I I am, yeah. And I went in there along with I think a lot of people in that course, thinking it was going to be all Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Photoshop, and you know some sketching and stuff. And um, we quickly learned it was a lot more about kind of psychology, problem solving. you know pr- product design in terms of like getting requirements and, and right. working through those um so yeah i think there's a bit of a, m- a mismatch between what most people think design is which is kind of sitting down and laying stuff out in a nice way
1: yeah.
0: um as opposed to actually getting to the core of something and, and trying to figure yeah. it out
1: and you know it's 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 not an easy concept and i know um, even people like the design council have struggled with this you know they've had to commission white papers and reports to really kind of yeah. clarify and crystallize what design is uh, and what service design is and i think this, that's still work in progress to some extent but um yeah that's that's probably partly one of the problems that we see uh, absolutely around yeah. this area
0: and of course both both um, terminologies are your or both definitions are correct it's yeah. just it just depends what you're kind of commissioning or what you want to do yeah exactly uh, as to which one is actually more correct okay um so maybe if we could talk a little bit about the history of design thinking, kind of where it came from, um, the roots of it, that kind of thing. So let's, let's talk through that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not going to give you this, this very detailed history. It's slightly more high-level right, plotted yeah, yeah. history. Um, but I know that it's been kicking around for some time, probably even, even back to the, to the 50s, really. But mm-hmm. I think it started to gain more traction in the 70s through sort of participatory uh, design and industrial design. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think blow by blow, it's, uh, it's certainly not a, a new... Area. It just seems to have evolved uh, as new uh, kind of thinking has been brought in. Sure, sure. Um, probably one of the standout or, or key players was a guy called Richard uh, Buchanan who uh, published something in '92 uh, called "Wicked Problems in Design Thinking." Wicked problems, yeah, um, yeah. And that, I think that is still kicking around on the on the internet as well. Um, yeah. And essentially, he drew a path from design thinking to innovation and its application. So he was starting to really kind of get some of those early concepts written down back then. So it's not something from the last five years. It's not something from the last 10 years. It does stretch back a lot further than that. Um, But you've also got more recently uh, things like the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Mm -hmm. and early pioneers such as IDEO um, really kind of running with a concept and bringing that to a wider audience.
0: Yeah, I know from a consultancy point of view we were always the, were, we're the ones that that come up a lot around. You still do. I mean, yeah. you're very
1: much um, an early stage sort of pioneer in this area, mm-hmm. bringing all of those threads together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's one of those things lots of different elements have been called different things over the last 50 years, so yeah. it's really about how much you want to argue exactly when it you know came about. Um, and in fact, there is a really good article on Medium that goes into a lot of detail. Perhaps we can put the link into yeah, that. Yeah, we can put that in the description, um, yeah. Rather than me trying to sort of repackage that blow by blow. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really good um, article. It's laid out really well. There's lots of kind of visual uh, timeline references and who some of the early players were. Cool, excellent,
0: brilliant. Yeah, I know even um, Wicked Problems, obviously, the, 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 the when it was originally came about, um, was published under that name but um, I remember when I was learning about it there was like some people rephrase it as like gnarly problems which I know sounds like surfer terminology yeah, I've um, not heard that before. but it was it was I think the idea behind it was to show that it's it's not just like a difficult or a hard problem it's something that's often entangled like a piece yeah. of gnarled wood oh, okay. um, and kind of like really difficult to kind of cut unpick. through yeah yeah um, or unpick so yes yeah, so there's different ways of kind of talking about the same like thing that. but yeah n- we should bring n- that one back. gnarly problems yeah yeah <laughs> 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 excellent so yeah no, so as you say it's been around for for qu- quite a while kicking, quite a while kicking around in different yep. um formats but i, th- I feel like it, i feel like to me it has become more and more of a kind of a well-known or well-regarded yep. thing in the last maybe five years but i think so enough. yeah i think
1: that's a really really fair assessment i think yeah. there's just been a lot more written about it there's certainly been a lot more um companies shouting about it and mm-hmm. how it's differentiator and and how it's really kind of set them apart from from the others yeah um yeah, so I think that's, that's that's pretty fair to say actually.
0: I think a lot of it's sometimes down to the, the mediumization of the industry, where every, everything has an, a good medium article on it. Um, yes, information gets disseminated a lot more quickly. People are more quick to pick up and stuff. Yeah, so, then, yeah um, which is a good thing. Which that's is a recent platform as well, though, right? That's yeah, That's not, yeah, it's not no. been
1: around for forever.
0: For sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So I guess in broad terms, then we've kind of half answered hmm. this question. But if, yeah. if, if 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 I were a company or if I were someone looking into this, why would I actually use design thinking as opposed to any other kind of techniques that are around?
1: Yeah, I think you've just got to look a bit closely about what's happened in the last 10 years, certainly from a tech kind of um, business landscape. It's just, it's like the Wild West out there, really, if you think Mm -hmm. about where we are, um, there's been so much change in the last 10 years and, and kind of the threat of digital has become this real credible threat and technology yeah. that's, and I hate to use the word, it really has disrupted um, <laughs> quite a few businesses in the sense of their business doesn't exist anymore yes. as a result of uh, yeah. a new player, a new entrance into the market. So I think it really is about trying to get businesses to think about that and sort of say, you may not be here in this same form In the next five years exactly and you know what could you do about that how do you get ahead of the competition and actually you know do some some kind of work around that to to look at where the future is and and sort of align yourself a bit more towards that
0: yeah exactly And i guess it ties quite closely into service design in that in that sense where it's you know if you are one of those companies where your um key selling point is no longer a key selling point yeah um it's not about just applying a new strip of paint onto an app or a website or a storefront yeah it's about fundamentally kind of rethinking what you're offering is how you deliver that.
1: Absolutely. Um, and yeah. those kinds of things. rethinking it. So looking at your value proposition and saying, mm-hmm. you know, how could we change that? How could we create new value? Um, how can we work closely with our customers and with the business to kind of come up with something that's completely different yeah. um, and create this sort of exchange of value? So I think there's, um, it, yeah, it's a really important point. And I think y- you can't just... Do the same thing and expect to be in the same place in ten years.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah. and we've we've always been, I guess, proponents of of doing like a lot of um, user research, not just user testing, but kind mm. of um, concept testing, yep. um, broad user research into needs, that kind of thing. Um, yep. But sometimes you do, do need to take technique, kind of like design thinking, to get that step of innovation. So you can you can know as as much as you possibly can about the problem, but at some point you still need to just um, get people into a room and, and cr- create something, or, or or you know something like that.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and I think this is where, um, you know, there's there's lots of discussion about the role of service design and agencies, you know, versus in-house departments, and I think both work. I think mm-hmm. um, quite often with an organisation, their thinking can become quite institutionalised, so yes. yeah. talking to a business where you actually say you've got to kind of cannibalise your own income stream in order to <laughs> survive
0: yeah. Yeah. can
1: be quite a hard sell, um, and this is where sometimes you need external help to come in and, work with the business to facilitate yeah. some of those sessions or yeah. come up with kind of creative workshops that will allow, you know, the people that work in the business every day to sort of maybe get out of their own comfort zone, mm-hmm. which is not, not easy, but, um, yeah. you know, we'll perhaps come on to that later. But yeah, it's kind of a, gives you an opportunity to try and work with people to, to think differently about how the business is.
0: I guess it's where a lot of these concepts for kind of internal labs comes from, like Google Labs mm-hmm. or AOL Labs or all these different places. Um, is they realize that you eventually do have to kind of think beyond what your current business model is. Yep. And a lot of those labs projects actually do cannibalize yes. the, the, the core business. Um, but they just accept that as, well, we also own this thing, so if it does yeah. cannibalize it, well, we can just... <laughs>
1: well, it's the same way that own a that. lot of banks are just buying up startups because they accept that to change internally is hard, yep. will yep. take time. And there's a lot of people that may be resistant to change and... There are some cases when it's actually just easier to acquire that technology or to to you know buy a business that operates that particular function. Yes, and yeah, try and um, sort of integrate that or operate that standalone.
0: Which can be sometimes successful, other times not 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 as successful because, yeah. um, like any merger or acquisition, um, you know the concept or the staff are not the only issue at, at hand there. Yeah, um, there's there's always lots of little things, and I think there was a, there was a, for a long time there was like this. Um, uh classic conception that if google bought a company there was like a countdown until it was just shut right yeah yeah because um essentially that they they would often just take the best engineers from that company and put them on whatever they wanted to work on within google yeah um so which just know.
1: takes takes that kind of idea out of the market and yeah. takes competition away and yeah, yeah that's the the more sinister side of uh of um buying up businesses i guess yeah, so, yeah yeah Thank i mean also sure. i guess thinking about w- why else to do it i mean the speed in which these companies, you know, going back to these large organisations, that often they can't um, innovate quick enough. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, they often will create a lab um, or an innovation centre on the basis that they want to do things quicker. And I mm. think that's that's a known trend that these cycles are just um, too long. And I think if we look mm. at there was a great article actually on the BBC. Um, guy from uh, well, Professor Richard Foster from Yale University yep. he was looking at the lifespan of the S&P 500 um, which is basically the index of leading US companies um, and that's decreased by more than 50 years in the last century so mm. it's gone from 67 years so all these big companies in that list uh, back in the 20s to just 15 years today yes. so companies yeah, like yeah. Facebook, Amazon, Google they haven't been around for 50 years mm-hmm. and they may not be Uh, in the next 50. So I think it's just about saying that um, these big, you know, beasts of organisations that are around forever are in some respects not, you know, they're not there now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Um, It's interesting when actually when you talk about the speed of uh, which these companies can kind of of operate. Mm. because, n- not to go off on, a, on an, an agile rant, but I often think that that's, that's an issue with agile is that mm-hmm. agile is one solution yep. to increasing the speed at which you operate. But I think companies are often treat it as the solution. Right. So it's the only way that you can operate more quickly. Yep. When in fact, there are aspects of design thinking and, and service design that would actually improve the speed of, of what you're doing as well um, yeah. without having to go to a kind of full scrum agile. Um, uh, technique which often can be really stressful for engineers, designers, researchers. Yeah, and if
1: you and trying to scale Agile in an organization where you've got multiple work streams yeah. and trying to coordinate that can be quite problematic. Exactly, and yeah. I think Agile's great for, you know, when you've got clear products that you're trying to work on, you're trying to get stuff out the door yep. the same yep. day. Um, but I think that's different to innovation in that sometimes exactly. it's actually about slowing down, taking a step back, yes. going out and doing some research, looking at customers in the wild and trying to find out where these needs are, where these pain points are and then kind of use some of that data to do some detailed analysis going into workshops to to kind of think about how things could happen differently
0: i think i think it's that that classic kind of um difference between building the thing quickly or building the right thing yes yeah um and i think too often the focus on agile is, is get something out the door yeah whereas maybe the focus should be get the right thing out the door right um which, you know, some, sometimes guys, you can do both. They might argue obviously. that
1: but they can then get out the door and change it if it's not right. I mean, True. that's yeah. another way of looking at it. But yeah, yeah. I think the two things can play nicely together, but they are different, I think. Yeah, it definitely takes a little bit of, of, um, of easing to do that. Yeah. I mean, cool. I think also just thinking about um, the nature of conversations that customers are having now, it's, it's a lot more two-way. So mm. 15, 20 years ago, it was a lot more captive. You'd build a product or an idea, you'd do some advertising, you'd sell it to the masses, and, yes, and yeah. that would be it. There would be no real comeback from them. I mean, obviously, the sales would talk if they were, if things were getting bought, and that was mm. a, a sign of success. But now you look at the likes of Facebook and platforms like that, everything is two-way. You know, Twitter, there's, there's a lot more um, ability for people to kind of have these conversations and push back and say what they like or dislike Um, but what a lot of the big organizations still have are very old management techniques that Mm -hmm. don't really adapt to that pace yes and that kind of change in customer needs or requirements they're still set in their very old ways of thinking about things as products
0: yes yeah and and it's still used even Mm -hmm. in the as a service field, yeah. which most things arguably now that are coming into the market are, yeah. are a service rather than a product. There's um, a wonderful quote somewhere But people still talk about shipping yep. and product. Yep. as it's like, okay, you, well, you know, ostensibly you are shipping code, yep. but actually you are contributing to a service yep. more so than shipping a product, often. I mean, That's not Yeah, and shipping a, co-
1: shipping a product, you know, going back to software, that definitely used to happen when it was on a CD-ROM. Yep. You'd have a clear publication date where it had yeah, to be yeah. in the box over, you know, being yeah. shipped. That doesn't really exist as much now. It's all delivered in real time. You know, Companies like Amazon publish several thousand times a day. So it's, that model has changed, um, yeah. but some of the management kind of thinking hasn't changed yeah. around that. And a lot of um, – I can't remember the quote. I read it somewhere recently that a lot of people um, who think they're in the product business are actually in the service business. They just don't know it yet.
0: Oh yeah, I know I think that's you know I'd love to know universal. who that was like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I did read that somewhere.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean there's there's barring some very specific items that you might find on a shop shelf mm. um, which I mean th- those are some of the only products that are really left you know so a lot yeah. so much for now even cars are a service really now I mean cars yeah. get updates to yeah. to their, their OSs um you know it's yeah tesla <laughs>
1: and, the, and those kind of cars that's very much how they're looking at it in yeah. terms of real-time updates and
0: often and often the model in this in the us now and more so here is is the rental or the leasing model rather than the yeah. purchase model for cars and do you know what that's yeah. a great
1: example of where design thinking and changing the way mm-hmm. the world works has kind of really come in because if you think about that other industries need to sort of align around that so car insurance is a great one so we yeah. think about car insurance 20 years ago it's very much you buy an annual policy. Um, if you're a young driver like I was back then, you'd probably try and get on your mum's insurance mm-hmm. um, or you'd go third-party fire and theft, as it was called, um, if you had a you know cheap old banger like I did. Yep. Okay. Um, but now, with the change in, in the way people are thinking, people don't want a car for a year. They want to be able to pick and choose and dip in and out of a car as and when and with services like uber and car rental uh, services yeah was it was like drive
0: now is that yeah. one is on
1: drive now a few, a few there was a, i've forgotten the name of one um, a while ago i think it was StreetCar. yeah you could just hire it by the hour so yeah
0: there's a few of those now actually yeah
1: yeah i mean and it's it's really kind of reflecting people's uh, change in taste so they don't mm-hmm. necessarily need to own that car a lot of um, cars are leased so they're not really owned anyway yeah um it's kind of like a, a you know a rental system in some respects but if you think about insurance that really needs to change to support that model so let's take a scenario where i did want to drive someone's car for an hour yes you know you want a tap you want to be able to turn it on and off (laughs) and have your car insured for an hour Mm -hmm. whatever that unit of time may be um so thinking about just an annual policy as Mm -hmm. a as a model it doesn't really necessarily work um in the future you know that could be something where they have to look at the units and and break that down a little bit more yeah yeah. now if you're a business that does annual car insurance you're not going to want to chop that up into tiny little pieces necessarily mm-hmm. but it's just a way of thinking about potentially different revenue stream and and trying to kind of trying to work around how people want to uh, behave
0: and so much of this is going to move towards kind of like the crowdfunding model and stuff yeah. as well i've heard word of a, quite a few insure tech companies that are talking yeah. about the kind of the betfair model where you yeah. you insure other people oh interesting. And they insure you like a marketplace yeah, yeah like a marketplace basically. That's um, a great idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of, you know, you can it's, 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 it is it's very much like a betting marketplace because if you insure the wrong segment or the wrong type of people or whatever, yeah. you could lose out because you, you could end up having to pay out on it. But at the same time, you also could be making money on it on a year-by-basis.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's, so that's a good
0: one. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm sure we'll hear more about that as it actually becomes more, yeah, yeah. more popular, more to market.
1: Cool. <laughs> and I think maybe the other thing, uh, just to sort of touch on with design thinking, it, it is a bit like learning is the way I like to think of it. It's, yes, yeah if you're a business that's not learning and not kind of listening and, and kind of observing and using every kind of customer interaction as a point of learning, mm-hmm. you're likely to be one that, that will become obsolete. And mm-hmm. I think that's the way um, companies like Kodak, Nokia, Blockbuster, you know, a lot of them went that way, mm-hmm. perhaps because they weren't doing these kind of activities or they weren't listening if, if they were. Mm-hmm. So I think... It should be thought of as a, an opportunity to learn about your customers and do something about it, yes. rather mm-hmm. than look back and go, oh, if <laughs> only we'd have done this. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of a way I like to think about it.
0: It's quite funny you mentioned Kodak, because I, I don't know if Kodak even exists as a company or if it's just the brand name that's owned by someone else. Yeah, um, I'm not sure, actually. But actually, the, you can get like Kodak filters for a lot of the apps now, mm-hmm. like the official logo and everything on it. Yeah, right. And it's like, well, you know, obviously there was a marketplace somewhere for something to do with the brand, which is, yep. in this case, the look and feel of what a Kodak looks like. Yep. Um, but they just didn't catch up with that, I
1: think. Well, I think and it's that argument of were they uh, willing to innovate or were they not customer-centric enough? Because yeah. I think you can still be willing to innovate but not listening to what your customers really want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if there's a real need um, where something is looking to, to change, you, you kind of need to explore that a bit more. Yeah. Um, and they did, you know. They they were kind of one of the early pioneers that had digital yeah, yeah. Uh, camera technology. They just didn't want to, I guess, cannibalize their own revenue stream. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I think they so were really risky, but terrified of that. Yeah. The payoff would have been huge had yeah. they done it right. You know,
0: and an interesting example is the the it app. Um, yeah. you can get for phones. I've used, I've used it quite a few times in workshops recently where you put all your posts on the wall, take a picture, yep. and the official app by Post It lets you kind of um, organize them and re-organize, move them around and kind of zoom in on them. And I think you can read some writing and stuff as well if it's not too, yeah. too much like mine. Like um, the
1: OCR sort of text scanning. Type yeah, stuff.
0: yeah. Um, and that's a really, really useful tool. Um, which I guess supplements their paper-based business, yeah.
1: rather than trying to replace it or rather than trying to um, yeah. cannibalise it. But that's I um, mean that's fascinating because it's almost like thinking about how they're used typically yeah. in a workshop situation, and knowing that people then have to capture that output and do something with it, so exactly, if they own yeah. that part of the process as well. Then yeah, you kind of they're in the conversation. Post-its by the way are very expensive. Um, yes, I see <laughs> our monthly post-it bill. If you if you uh, are a UX professional or a services design professional? Chances are you've got a an unhealthy addiction to those things, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure they're the most cost effective thing or that's no, sustainable. But, but people love them.
0: It's it's a, it's an it's an unfortunate truth, so that when you buy the cheap ones, they don't stick to the walls as well. They don't, yep. you know. It's just they seem to have that locked down somehow. Um, but that's just the way the world, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So you get you get brand names that own a, own a, a space. Yeah, and it's kind of like like tippex I guess, or some company like that. Oh uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I was going to think of another one around Hoover or Dyson or something, but I lost my train of thought. Tipex though.
0: is a weird, I don't know how Tipex came into my head, I don't I don't even know when the last time I used Tipex, probably when I was in school or something.
1: I think probably because people don't write as much these days. Yeah, like because in use the written form, it's very much typed and then printed out, or yeah, yeah, texts yeah. or emojis. You know, it's kind of a,
0: anyone. Yeah, my desk in school used to be half covered with Tibet You just do all your boards like.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if if uh, Billy School is listening, uh, yeah, 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 that cleaning bill that you paid four years ago,
0: <laughs> I can give you his home address. Oh, believe me, I had to clean it up, <laughs> my, <Okay>. up myself <laughs> many times. Um, okay, well we've I've, we've kind of um, gone off on a bit of a tangent there. Yeah. Um... So let me know if we, if you feel we've already covered some of these through conversation. But the next one is going to be um, contrasting
1: design thinking to some other t-
0: techniques that we might use. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, um, I'd say we, we've certainly covered off in that previous section um, mm. some of that. But I think um, it's an interesting one because I think our view of uh, design thinking is, is there's a lot of workshops involved. There's a lot of um, communication involved. There's lots of really working with the business. And I know a mm. lot of companies... Um, say that they kind of do collaborative techniques, but this stuff really is about that. Um, So I think certainly a a big difference there between, um, say, service design, UX and design thinking. I think um, UX tends to be more uh, sort of tactical. You're doing one-off projects where it's very much, the form is known quite early on. Yes. Um, I think service design is definitely thinking broader and not locking down or narrowing down on the problem too early on. I think we we see quite a lot in this industry people jumping straight into a solution without really allowing yeah. time for ideas to, to kind of be surfaced. And um, certainly with a lot of design thinking workshops uh, that we do, it's very much about allowing people within the business to mm-hmm. get their ideas on the table and trying to work with customers as well to kind of yes, validate yeah. ideas or get their ideas as part of that in terms of like a co-creation exercise. So I think, yeah, the main differences are probably about not narrowing down too early mm-hmm. with, with design thinking and service design uh, versus UX um, yeah. and um, really being kind of collaborative as opposed to saying you're being collaborative.
0: I think it goes back to that previous conversation we had about mm-hmm. Agile and how it's, you yeah. know, it's important to get something out the door and then you can change it. But I, I feel that there is maybe even an, an unconscious bias yep. towards once you've actually made something, yep. you then want to iterate on that rather than fundamentally change it. Yes. Um, and that can be dangerous because you've, you've now completely narrow down your thinking to one line yep. um, and one evolution. And it may not be the best. And it, it may not be the you, best. You've locked in on it, yeah. Um, so, so by creating something, yes, you've created something that you can now iterate upon, mm. but you've also chopped out everything else that could have happened. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, if, it's like if, there's a multiverse, yep. and then you have to pick the one universe that you will
1: exist in. Um, definitely. And we, you know, we get people coming to us saying, oh, we want an app to do this. And it's, it's actually sometimes we try and get them to take a step back. Because yes,
0: what's the problem you're solving here?
1: Exactly. An app is, is a solution to a specific problem that actually there may be other mediums or other things that are better addressed yeah, um, yeah. T- to do that. And that's definitely... Um, I think that's also down to who you might be working with as part of these engagements as mm-hmm. well. So UX projects tend to be more um, product owners or uh, you know, managers of a particular channel, where a service design is a bit more senior, maybe more operational, and they've got a sort of slightly wider remit. They mm-hmm. can see there's a bunch of problems potentially across multiple systems um, yeah. that, that need looking at, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it, like the kind of narrowing down versus, uh, versus the broad...
0: Cool, excellent. Um, and then when it comes to challenges around design thinking, what would you describe as kind of some of the main challenges around implementing
1: design thinking? I think, um, well, I guess it's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's always a big one. I mean,
1: yeah, massive caveat with this stuff. It's, it's not easy. And I think a lot of it is around change, and um, yep, people being yep. resistant to change, yep. um, people happy with the way things have been mm. going, you know, in their job for 10 years, and actually sometimes coming along with these uh, ideas or working with them can be a little bit disruptive yeah. to how they work um quite often they uh, you know they lots of people are uh, design thinkers that work within within businesses but they just don't know it yet yeah, yeah. but they're more comfortable doing the role they were hired for yes so yeah. if it's cranking out code or if it's working in the call center um some people are you know i'm not generalizing here some people don't necessarily want to get involved in some of the other stuff absolutely yeah yeah so part of our job is to is to make that engaging fun um be clear about what some of the activities are and try and get them to really sort of take part
0: yeah and i think it's it's always um for many projects like this i've been involved in it's, it's always quite a difficult thing to, to convey what the level we're at is mm. in terms of very often at the start of a design thinking pro- process you want to be quite broad yeah and you want it, and you want to kind of open it out to all sorts of ideas. Yeah. But you sometimes end up with people in workshops who are very very specific and very pedantic. Um, yeah. which is great. Uh, pedantic people are really useful at a certain point in the process. Yeah. yeah. Um but often it can slow things down in these kind of early stage workshops because yeah. it's it's they're they're kind of thinking too much about the implementation or the detail of something. Yeah. Um, so it's a challenge for us as practitioners to kind of um get them to to be on the same wavelength as the rest of everyone else. Yeah. At that point and then engage them when they're going to be really useful at a later point in terms yeah. of actual Im- implementation of it. So.
1: Exactly, and sometimes people want to do everything in the one workshop. They yeah. want to yeah. literally have built it, and, and you know they've already locked in on that idea. And sometimes it's just, as you said, trying to keep the keep the pace whereby actually you allow other ideas to surface yeah. and not just have one dominant character telling everybody it's going to be this specific app.
0: Yeah, and I think some people, i would include myself on this, struggle with... Um, Seeing ideas that you know aren't implementable, mm. um, and I, I I struggle with that myself. But yeah. you you have to kind of learn, or I've had to try and learn, that actually those ideas, while they might not be the, the solution or might not actually be doable, yeah. um, can often spark other ideas, yeah. um, and they can be they can be fodder for different ways of thinking about a problem. Right. Um, so kind of cutting into those at a really early stage, or or before the end of the process, is you know you're really just cutting off limbs. Yeah <laughs> to <a> certain extent. <laughs> not physically yeah yeah
1: we don't use knives in workshops <laughs> no. But no but I think it's, it's that it's that doing thing i think a lot of people think that design thinking is is around just theorizing and and talking about stuff but really yeah. you've got to get into the doing mm. and yes, you've got yeah. to be prepared to you know one of our kind of value statements or usps if you like is you've got to be prepared to roll up your sleeves and 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 get stuck in and and kind of work with us otherwise it doesn't work yeah it's no Um, no
0: spectators in yeah projects we work on yeah it's
1: it's about doing stuff you know you can't just outsource it and say okay we'll just put some budget to it and put it over there there is it's a team game and you know you've got to get involved and, and make it happen
0: yeah i think there's often a um a willingness to Outsource problems, because then if the solution isn't right, it's not your, it's not your fault. Yeah, right. yep. um, whereas actually, when you're engaged with the process, you give yeah. yourself a much greater chance of success.
1: Yep. Um, so and getting the right people engaged is important as well. Exactly, you know, we've, yeah. we've been in workshops in the past where perhaps we haven't had all the right stakeholders in. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely see different levels of success when the right people are, are engaged and involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's often about doing some good upfront uh, workshop planning and thinking about who we would be good to have in there yeah and uh, making sure that they feel part of the process as well exactly yeah
0: and and that if they're a kind of a high level person within a business that they don't overshadow yes. other people within a workshop as well, which can be quite difficult. Um, at times,
1: yeah, especially when you know there are people several pay grades down that have got fantastic ideas that yeah. just don't want to offer them up, and yeah, and yeah. that's as you said, it's down to the agency or consultancy or the internal department to come up with good techniques to yeah. give people reflection time where they can write stuff down as well as discuss things, yeah. rather, and using artifacts and different kind of physical models to help yeah. uh, with role playing and discussion rather than just letting a very senior stakeholder just yeah dominate the workshop
0: there's probably a whole other podcast we could do on techniques around kind of um workshops but the, the the classic one which is probably a bit too classic at this stage is the, is the old um, draw a toast so you get everyone to just draw their imagine, imagined version of what toast looks like on a, on a post-it yeah and I guess the benefit of that is they can all laugh at each other's one. Yeah. And it helps to kind of level the playing field a bit. So it's not, it's not like everyone looks at the CEO's drawing of toast and goes, that is the best toast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've created some brilliant <laughs> toast there. Brilliant I've toast. never seen toast like it. But it
0: does actually kind of <laughs> subliminally give everyone the opportunity to say, okay, well, nothing here is sacred. We can all just kind of laugh or, or kind of criticise um, anyone's um, additions to this. So, which,
1: and which that is good. Cu- culturally, that's also... Important Because the way the business is set up in terms of design and culture yeah. can indicate or dictate a bit more about how likely some of those activities are to go down well. Yeah, and exactly. Some, yeah. some companies are very engineer focused or, you know, there's kind of a, an over bias to one particular um, job type within within the business. And yeah. actually part of doing this right is really about looking also at the kind of structure of the design team and how design Mm -hmm. is thought about within the company um because that kind of culture and that customer first culture will will really kind of help
0: cool excellent all right the final one around design thinking before we move to the news stories is um sorry Uh, so so for the future of design thinking um what are your thoughts on that where is it going to go to go to
1: um what's involved in the future of design thinking i mean um yeah, I think there's definitely going to be one. <laughs> will it be called design <laughs> thinking? I'm, I'm not a betting man, but I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I guess, in my limited time doing various digital-related uh, stuff, it, it seems to evolve and change and shift and be rebranded and relabeled sure, um, every sure, sure. three to five years. So it, it will still be there. It will not be called design so thinking, thinking, I suspect. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to come up with something new now, Billy? We can see if it sticks.
0: No, I, I, I think um, <laughs> on the last podcast, which uh, is no longer in existence, I came yeah. up with some pretty rubbish ones. So, uh,
1: um, shame we haven't got that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think I'll save myself some embarrassment this time round. I mean, I'll
1: give you one example. When we were, um, when I was kind of doing some of this stuff early on, people referred to her as new media designer. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see that label very often no, now, and, I and you know a lot of people. Um, just shift and change as the industry change. So um but a lot of the kind of core principles are still there around human centered design and yeah. uh, it just tends to get rebadged and relabeled. Yeah, no for sure. Um, cool. I think also, you know, the, the kind of problems that we're likely to try and solve in the future are around complexity. And mm-hmm. um in some respects we had it easy 10 15 years ago because it was just a website. Yeah. Whereas now yeah. it's it's an app, it's VR, it's AR, you've got smart cities coming, you've got, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned earlier about cars that um, can update, the software can update. You know, before it was just, there's the car, yeah, take yeah. it in for a service. Now we've got, you can do new stuff in the car as soon as the release and updates happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's <coughs> excuse me that in itself is a security and whatever else risks I mean, but, we, uh, we need
0: only look at the NHS hack last a couple of weeks ago now yeah, and right. um, stuff like that yeah so it's
1: So you imagine a large scale car system that's the you know the software's compromised <coughs> I would not want to think of the outcome but uh, yeah The point is complexity is getting kind of more complex. There's more channels, there's more methods of delivery, it's faster. We want stuff quicker, sooner, smaller bite-sized chunks. So the need for these types of services that get businesses to to think about that and and, and kind of come out of their comfort zone and try and think about different models of operating their business, um, I think will only increase.
0: Yeah. I think another problem that is currently already in existence, but I think will get bigger as we go forward, is the idea that companies can't be as siloed as as they used to be. Um, People don't see uh, a single product or a single service in isolation anymore. Often it has to hook into three other services that they're also using, and it has to do that quite easily, or else you think the service that doesn't hook in is backward or, or or not good, or whatever it might be. Um, Definitely. So you know when it's um, we often talk about the fitness trackers on this show. It's come up quite a few times. Mm. I think um, we talked about that last time. The fitness yeah, trackers. Yeah, but so some you of don't
1: th- like cauliflower or something. <laughs> <not like that. laughs> yeah,
0: but I know some of them work really well with some of the fitness um, websites or apps. Yeah, um, and other ones are quite proprietary. Yeah, and I think we're, we're kind of quite quickly seeing the success of the ones that are more open and the ones that can be used more ubiquitously yeah. and the kind of the failure of the ones that are more proprietary. So that's, that's a good example of that, I think.
1: And, and I think linked to that, um, as the technological advances just keep on happening and keep on coming, um, there's that kind of thought process of just because you can build that stuff, it doesn't mean it's gonna work well overall as a service. Mm-hmm. So good services are designed from the start. Yes, yeah. They don't just happen. So I think just because you've got a driverless car, it doesn't mean, you know, the way that you operate it or the way that you get it serviced or all the kind of different things that may happen and interactions around that yeah, yeah. Um, happen by, by chance. They're designed. You know, they, I saw a really good talk at, um, I think it was the one of the service design conferences recently in Amsterdam, and they were talking about, it was a guy from BMW who was talking about cars being a second living room yeah. in the future. Because really, if it is driverless... Mm-hmm what are you going to do? You just kick back. So I, I saw a guy talking about that as well. It he, might be the same guy. It could have been
0: the same guy, but he was talking about how um, people really enjoy driving. Yeah. Um, so for you to enjoy a driverless car, it has to be not just a shell you're sitting in.
1: But some people don't. Yeah, some yeah. people don't enjoy driving. Some people find it as a, just trying to get from A to B. True. And the process yeah. is quite stressful. And I think yeah, yeah. if you can say it's a routine journey, actually, if you sit back and just get out your PlayStation, have a little game... Mm have a little beer or a cup of tea along the way, we'll get you there safely. That's a very different experience to to what it is now currently. So yeah, yeah. what are the services you're going to design inside the car that represent entertainment and, and yeah. kind of, you know, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, it's a different way of thinking about the car than, say, here's this thing that you drive. But I, I think that the majority of people enjoy driving. I guess I was just mm-hmm. kind of highlighting that some people genuinely don't.
0: Yeah, no, but I think it's, we're talking about the same point, which was that, like, because some people enjoy uh, driving... Um, the experience of being in the car when you're not driving has to be as engaging yeah. um, as the driving experience. And there's, there's a short-term problem because at the moment, and for the foreseeable future, mm. driverless cars actually have to have a driver still. Right. So the car will drive itself, but someone still needs to be able to take control in case. at short yeah. notice. Yeah. So there's, there's this massive problem of keeping people engaged mm. with what's happening on the road in case they need to take control, right. while at the same time not actually doing very much.
1: Uh, okay, that's um, quite a tricky one, actually. That's
0: a real... Gnarly problem, as, as as we mentioned at the yeah, start. Yeah. Um, Midway through a PlayStation game or something, and yeah, then yeah. Suddenly you've got to act. Well, because if you if you think about the the driving test, yeah, um, a huge portion of the driving test is hazard awareness, yeah. Um, which cars are getting better at? But actually, humans are still a lot better at hazard awareness, right? Because we have a much better ability of kind of judging. oh that guy looks like he's going to pull out here. Yeah. Um, we 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 have much more empathy for kind of understanding. Well, he looks a bit dodgy, or this looks a bit a yeah. oh, weird situation. Um, so. You know, to to a certain extent some of these driver's cars essentially just turn into a very long hazard awareness test. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which is not exactly the most engaging thing yeah. um you could be involved in. So they have to really
1: think of some ways to
0: yeah to supplement that. I and think
1: it, it could be about looking at which industries or types of driving really need that so it could be mm. more like long haulage deliveries or something yeah, yeah. where the route is very fixed to go down a major motorway like the m1 or the mm. m6 it's very stop start but you're, you're kind of going in the main in one direction yeah, yeah. as opposed to people you know that like the, the fact that the terrain changes a lot and yeah. they're in control of all the gears and stuff yeah. there may be different use cases and i'm sure some clever uh companies <laughs> map this all out that that kind of yeah. You know, point towards who's going to be more like an early adopter
0: yeah it'll probably come down to personality types as well i mean yeah there is that split still between um the u.s and europe where manual yeah. cars are much more popular in europe and automatic cars are much more popular in the in the states yeah i think some some of that is just down to the character of the people involved i think english yeah. people in particular really are can tend, tend to be motorheads right where they love changing gear and kind of yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the engineering of the car and the you know uh, understanding all of that whereas i think americans often see it more as just a kind of a at something that gets you to a certain place yeah um so it's it's a very different mindset
1: that may change. i mean I know um mm-hmm. I certainly was uh brought up on driving um you know with with a gear stick and mm-hmm. manual or stick as it's referred to in the u s yeah um and I hired a, a an automatic about a year ago mm-hmm. for quite a long drive in the u k and because there was a lot of stop starting and I had a screaming uh, baby in the back <laughs> um. It allowed me to just relax a little bit more. And uh, so I've kind of switched a little bit. I actually think I'm quite into automation. But again, it's,
0: it's mindset. I, I, yeah. I, I, I bet when you were younger, you were more about the kind of oh, the, definitely. The, the, the gear structure. Crunching the, the gearbox yeah, as I yeah. failed to change gear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did you pass yeah. your driving test? Just out of interest.
0: Um, I passed it midway through university, actually. So first time or? No, second time. OK. And um, I didn't fail too badly the first time. I failed on a couple of points on mirrors, yeah. which wasn't too bad. But yeah, it took me two. Although, okay. although I did take it in like, um, like the cheat mode place to take it in. So I, I took it in a town called Burr in the middle of Ireland, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a relatively small town, which is full of one-way streets. Yep. And I did it at like 8am on a Saturday morning, so there was no traffic. Right, so you got the prime time slot. I basically, basically did like cheat mode for the driving test, because yeah. it was basically just like driving around a track. Um,
1: You're one of those that just uh,
0: got a nice tick through the box
1: there.
0: I b- I basically, yeah. yeah. And I still, <laughs> I, still, I,
1: still, I still don't think I got like a
0: perfect sheet, but I got right. pretty close. Yeah. Um, whereas there's an- another town where I'm from, near where I'm from called Turles, which is like hard mode for a driving test because right. it is also full of one-way streets, but the middle square is, is actually a roundabout. So it's a, it's a pedestrian square, which is a roundabout, <sighs> which is a square. Uh, so basically, if you, get, <laughs>
1: if you get the guy that says we're going to this one, yeah, I mean, yeah you've yeah. just grown because
0: you know it's a, it's exactly it's a good yeah. chance. You yeah, yeah. my dad loves to loves to rub it in that he passed first time in Thurlis. So yeah, um, whereas it took me two attempts. In <laughs> 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 All right. um, well, we're good. We're moving on in time here. I think we've we've had a good chat, but I, I know you have some news stories that you want to go through today as well.
1: Yeah, um, I do actually. Let me just grab those. Um, <laughs> so, I guess first thing to point out is. They're not all from the BBC website. So oh, well done, Ben. Yeah, well done. Golf stars all round. Um, so what's the first one? Well, the first one's um, it says what went wrong at BA. Mm-hmm. So this is really um, uh, yeah. in relation to the recent uh, major IT failure. Yes, which yeah. kind of wiped out a lot of flights from Heathrow as well as Gatwick. Now, I can personally vouch for how painful this was because I had um, a wedding uh, on the bank holiday weekend uh, of a friend in uh, Scotland, so mm-hmm. we had to get to Glasgow. Now, our flight was cancelled. Um, in the end, it took us probably 13 hours to get to uh, Glasgow. We had to get a train and stuff, so mm. really long journey. For those not that familiar with the UK, Scotland is in the north part of the UK, but probably only an hour and a half flight, uh, so quite a long journey all around. But mm-hmm. um, I'm going into ramble mode about my uh, weekend there, so no, no, bringing good. it back to really the problem. I mean, essentially, it was a massive IT failure. But I've got a little bit of cynicism around the way it's been, I guess, presented back by BA. Mm -hmm. So they kind of seem to be saying that it was a a major power failure, is the reason why um, everything kind of went down. Now, my understanding of the way that these UPS power backup systems work is you have one somewhere else that kicks in, uh, or a backup generator, or you have a secondary data center that's on a completely separate power supply.
0: That that was my thoughts on it. I, yeah. I I was like why why wasn't this a dispersed system where there yeah. was like um like a raid system where there's a, a copy of it in multiple different different si- locations. Places.
1: And given the size of the business, it, it you know disaster planning and scenario yeah. planning is is, a, is an important part of what they do. I just it just doesn't add up is the way yeah. I'm looking at it. And I think, going back to your earlier point about the um, the ransomware mm-hmm. hack uh, about a week or so prior that really affected things like the NHS in the mm-hmm. UK. What do you feel is a link between? I think, this is personal theory. <laughs> and conspiracy theory. Is I'm plan. not a big conspiracy theory person, but this, well, um, <laughs> maybe I am, but this, this feels like it's a big hack that's caused a massive problem, mm-hmm. and they've chosen to communicate around the power supply. Um yeah. I could be completely wrong. I've got nothing to go on uh, other yeah. than some sort of weird uh, kind of puyro. It's, it's entirely possible,
0: um, although I don't know what the implications of that would be from a legal point
1: of view, given that mm. they have shareholders and stuff, uh, yeah, in right. terms of lying to the public, if that was the case. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, it could just be a major problem that's, yeah. that, that has actually happened in the way that they've said, but my, my, non, my kind of imaginary beard is being uh, scratched here, and I'm <laughs> kind of thinking that something doesn't quite add up.
0: I, I, have the, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt, um, which is to say that they just have some really old systems that aren't as mm. modern as they should be. Right. Um, and having, when I was reading about this, I was like, well, why on earth? Wait, wait, I, know th- I know solutions often become, or ideas become obvious after the fact, yeah. um, but why aren't these types of systems using something like blockchain, like the Bitcoin thing, mm. where every time a transaction happens happens on the system, it's, yep. it's, it's in like automatically every other location or, or it's right. being backed up along a chain there. Um, you know, why aren't these types of tra- transactions, which aren't actually, you know, they're not like financial transactions, but they are transactions in terms of data moving to and from yep. something, um, being
1: backed up in that kind of a way, which is also quite quite secure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure if they had the opportunity to, they would like to do that. But I yeah, think yeah. a lot of these systems are so, they're massive legacy systems. You're yeah. talking airports all over the world with different... You know, internet connections, different levels of technology, um, kind of adoption. So I think that's almost like, that might be a little bit around the corner for those guys. Could be, but I think yeah. it's something that it's like worth you consider it, yeah. thinking about yeah. in, in, in those kind of situations. All right. Okay, got a few more? Uh, yeah, on to the next one. So um, sli- slightly linked to the wedding. Uh, there was a thing I saw on The Guardian that said, robot priest unveiled in Germany to <laughs> mark 500 years since Reformation. Right. So there's a little robot called Bless U2, and that's U-2, as in the band with a dash. I was uh, say like the bomber, but yeah. Yeah, right. Um, which delivers blessings in five languages. Uh, it's intended to trigger debate about the future of the church. So I just thought it was interesting from a point of view that there's a lot of talk about robots and mm. um, AI and, and kind of um, how robots will be taking over x number of jobs and all of this kind of stuff but it's kind of brought back into the fold an interesting point around you know religion and just because you can build something should you build a yeah a robot that can bless you or give you away at the wedding you know
0: yeah yeah i i, I love there's a there's a, there's a, a paragraph here. The robot raises its arms, flashes lights, recites a biblical verse, and says, God bless and protect you. If requested, it will provide a printout of its words. <laughs>
1: but just At least you get a little copy there to take yeah. away. Yeah,
0: I just love the idea of this kind of like this robot flashing and kind of throwing its arm up and going, hallelujah!
1: We've well, <laughs> missed the most important line of that sentence, which is a backup ro- A backup robot is available in case we I see, girl. they're now, thinking about it. Now that would have really helped uh, BA. <laughs> I mean, if we could have a backup robot here that Why does, can't you have, yeah. Why can't you have a backup System for the uh, for the airline. But it so reminds me of
0: that that show. Did you, did you ever see uh, Futurama? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, so yeah, there, yeah. There's a
0: robot preacher in that. Yes. Who's like? I've forgotten um, the name of him, but it's yeah, like yeah, but he's, he's, he's like he's blessing all the
1: robots. So I wonder, is this the first stage towards that? It could be. Yeah. Type of a future. It could be. So I mean, this is in, in no way intended to uh be a slur against religion. It's more of a. Um, no, it's like it's a, like could, just because you can do something, should you do something? It's to provoke. Pro- Provoked debate. Yes, yeah, precisely like a, that, and that's, that's exactly why they created it. It was for that for that same attention. Although
0: you know this, could, that, that could actually be considered illegal in Ireland. Really? Um, there was a recent <clears throat> um, highlighting that there is actually a blasme- blasphemy law in Ireland, oh, right. which actually recently went on the books. It was really weird. Hmm. Um, but someone, I think, to, also to provoke a debate, yep. um, tried to sue sue Stephen Fry for his atheist beliefs, wow. um, calling him a, a blasphemer under Irish law. And it was quickly kind of brushed under the table, but I think it was to highlight how rubbish the law is, basically. Right. But yeah, and that's an aside. Mm, interesting. Uh, but if that robot came to Ireland, he'd be in big trouble. He'd
1: be in a lot of trouble. So <laughs> we won't be seeing robot priests there anytime soon. No. no. Uh, okay, I think we've got one or <coughs> two Last more. Last one, yeah. yeah. So um, I just grabbed this one uh, just before we came in. Um, so this is about uh, Twitch, which is the streaming platform. For those mm-hmm. that don't know, so Twitch is used to stream a lot of gameplay and yes. esports and things like that. Um, it's Basically, there's a guy who set up a service to stream um, his kind of sort of small trading terminal thing that he's created. So he's invested uh, $50,000. And from what I understand, he – and you you may know a bit more about this than I did – but he's kind of using the stream to get people to vote on um, what he should sell and buy in terms of stocks.
0: Yeah, so he'll have, I think, some options. I don't know if they're pre like he puts the options up there or if it's completely – crowdsourced right okay. but they'll vote on things like sell seb buy netflix sell you know whatever it might be all these different stocks and shares that you possibly could could be trading on um and i think he has he the system automatically does it so, the, i was reading the article and he seems to have put together some kind of a uh, an algorithm that just grabs whatever the top vote is and, and kind yeah. of implements it yeah um and i'm not sure if they actually have if that's does value as well or not, but it certainly is kind of crowd... It sounds
1: like... It says he, he brings it out from the chat window, so there's a yeah. chat platform within Twitch, and then he just counts each vote, takes the top vote, and then places the trade. So if enough yeah. people say, go and buy this one, yeah, he just counts it up and, get, and goes and does it. So I'm sure that's open to abuse, but I think it's more of a... I guess it's an interesting one, which is using the kind of crowd to make informed choices around things like trading.
0: It is a funny one. And so, so just so people have a, a kind of a bit of history behind mm. this, it, this is almost like a natural evolution of what's happened on Twitch quite a few times, which is that you crowdsource the playing of a game. Mm. Um, So the classic one that everyone remembers is um, Twitch plays Pokemon. So they got the original Pokemon game, and they got the crowd to control, to vote on whether the character moves up, moves down, presses A, presses B, whatever it would be. Um, And it took ages, but they actually managed to complete the whole game, which is ostensibly a 40-hour, 50-hour game. Um, and And they managed to do it. So I guess this guy just is putting a punt on the wisdom of the crowd to actually use that
1: skill. <laughs> well, I mean, I looked this morning, he was $60 up. I think yeah, he, was he was on $50,060. Yeah. And, 60 and um, uh, what's really interesting is a lot of retail traders aren't always up. Um, yeah. So I think it's yeah. quite interesting to see, you know, the crowd doing this. And I think from from a legal point of view, he has to stay above something like $25,000 for, the, for yeah. the kind of FCA-type regulations, the financial industry regulations. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a really interesting experiment and uh, I hope he I hope he kind of gets it up to whatever level he's trying to get it to
0: it is it, it reminds me of um, a book I read a long time ago called The Intelligent Investor I'll, I'll, I'll finish up in a second now um, was that because
1: I just looked at the clock there because well, you know think, I've got I another meeting. I think
0: I have something at 10 as well <laughs> yeah. um, but but one of the core theses of the book is that like this this day trading thing yeah. is there are no intelligent strategies to it. You are, no matter what you do, just, yeah. just making a punt. Yeah. And uh, this is an interesting application of that because essentially you're, you're just letting it wide open to yeah. the world to say do this or do that.
1: Well, a lot um, of trading companies are looking at those crowdsourced models now because trading is really you know around sentiment and... Getting a feel for things and mm-hmm. depending on who you speak to. And I think harnessing a lot of that crowd uh, sort of sentiment may help trading strategies and a lot of the big ones have invested yeah. in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, fascinating actually. Cool, excellent. Well, I think that's pretty much everything we have to cover. Well, got, I've got one more thing. You know I like oh. to... Uh, hold, you know. Uh, hold okay, Colombo. Yeah, a little Colombo <laughs> moment there. But um, it's really just another another shameless plug. Yep, great. And I'm really upset that you haven't developed a shameless plug jingle for me yet.
0: Shameless plug. Nice.
1: You have to do it in this exact same tone every time. I just I just record that and yeah, uh, yeah. play it just back. Just reuse it. Nice. Um, it's really just around our trends reports. Really, mm-hmm. um, we have released the healthcare ones and the automotive and mobility trends. They're going really well. Yes, and some really yeah. nice feedback on those and. Um, in June, probably around the time this goes out, uh, we will have our telecoms uh, trends mm. report as well. So yeah. keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, I've only got one shameless plug today. I've, I've okay, been but the trends reports.
0: Yeah. I um, mean, yeah, I know um, everyone involved in writing has been doing some great work. Andre, yeah. who's been designing them. Yeah, yeah. Um, from, yeah they from look fantastic. He's awesome. done really well there yeah, from a visual, point, visual design point of view, they're really, really beautiful. So yeah. I'd advise anyone to check them out, even just to look at them, even if you don't read them that well. But do read them as well. Do read them. Yeah. <laughs> they're good. We're going to put the link in there, right? So uh, we can pop it in the, yeah, in the description. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's all the shameless plugs, I think that's everything we need to cover. Yeah. Um, and thank you for having me on. and Thank you for tuning in as well. Exactly. Well, well, well done, Ben. Host Ben. Well, thank you today. Um, yeah. Well, I'm away on holidays the next couple of weeks. So this will be going up... Next week, our time, but for the listener, yeah, their time, um, and there may be a bit, a bit of a gap on us. I can convince someone here to to do a, to a host on, on one next no, week. No, we need
1: you as the host there. Perhaps. Yeah, so there may be
0: another little bit of a gap, but we should be back on schedule. I know, I know schedule.
1: I've got an idea, actually. We can have a robo host. Robo, oh, brilliant. Or Twitch host. Yeah.
0: Twitch just asks all the questions. Just ask the
1: questions. We crowdsource the questions. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, the robot does a printout at the end as well. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> let's I'll,
1: I'll code that up after this.
0: <laughs> let's see where we get to. <laughs> um, but other than that, um, let's leave it there. And um, yeah, we'll catch you next time.